Welcome to Webcology. Webcology is the show that takes you into the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Our guides will take you on a journey into web marketing and bring you the experts and the information so that you can further explore the web marketing world. Now, here are the hosts of Webcology, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey everyone, welcome to Webcology here on webmasterradio.fm, WMR.fm. This is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media. And again, for a second week, Dave Davies wasn't able to be here. He is actually, I think he's on his way to Texas for PubCon. So um, Dave's not here. But in his place, we have Michelle Stinson-Ross from uh, Director of Marketing at Apogee Results. Uh, Michelle, a recognized authority on search and social media, both within the industry and the greater business world. Uh, she's a f- fairly frequent guest on this show. Um, listeners might have read her columns at Forbes. Uh, Search Engine Journal, SEM Post, Marketing Land. She's a regular speaker at events like uh, the Digital Summit Series, SMX, and PubCon. Again, she's the Director of Marketing at Apogee Results um, in, in Austin, Texas, near near PubCon. And Michelle, welcome back to Webcology. Thank you so much, Jim. It's a pleasure to be here. But as you pointed out, send Dave to Texas, and Texas comes to Webcology. Yeah. I like how that works. I like how that works indeed. <laughs> how are you doing? I haven't talked to you in a long time. How are you doing? Uh, life is good. Life is quite good. We're we're really busy at Apogee and building and growing and so much to talk about. Well, indeed, there is so much to talk about. I, I, I think about how much has changed changes in our industry just like week to week, month to month. And I think it's been at least a year since you and I have actually talked to each other. Right. Um. So we got, got quite a bit to catch up on, don't we? I think so. Um, you're when I think of social media experts, um, you're one of the very first names that come to mind. <laughs> um, if I need advice on social media, heck, if I was going to be growing a part of my company to address social media, you'd be first. You'd be first of mind. Um, the last time we talked. I think it was a universe that was completely dominated by Facebook. Um, Twitter was the second most important property in the world, and then LinkedIn would have been a, would have been a close third after that. And that sort of shows how long it's been since you and I have actually talked, because the universe right. has changed radically since then. Um, what's the what's the state of social media right now? What's important? What's not important? Um, what's important, what's not important. I, I think data is becoming even more important on several levels. It's becoming imp- more important to users, the privacy and control of their own data. Also, how well we as marketers actually track relevant data around the marketing messages that we're putting out in social media. Um, <laughs> it's funny that you bring up just kind of the long term of where I've been in my career. Because I look back, I've been doing this for about 10 years now, a little bit more than 10 years. So when I started in social media, Facebook and Twitter were my only options. And Facebook in 2007 had just become publicly available. There was a wall. There were no company pages. There was no advertising platform in any of this. It was completely wild, wild west. So Mm -hmm. I have been boots on the ground from the first moment really that it looked like this would be a 
viable channel for business communication and marketing. And I, I definitely have grown along with it. And I find now that the performance aspect of social media is, is really a huge part of this now. And that we really have to be good data analysts as well as good media buyers. Okay, so the way I was thinking about it, I'm from the SEO world. So I exist on Google or I exist on Bing. I used to exist on Yahoo and any number of other search engines. But to mm -hmm. me, it's always been about platforms. Google is the platform. And from, uh, from there, all sorts of magic happens. When I think about the social media world, I think that that, that bias uh, makes me think about platforms. And Facebook is the platform, 2.45 billion users. But um, if I hear you right, it's not as much the platform as it is the data that's shared amongst platforms. I certainly feel like it that way. I, I think at this point in our digital iterations of business communication, that it comes down to brand more than platform. Am I the same brand no matter what platform I'm using? And that encompasses, you know, search as well as social. Okay, so do you mean that Lowe's hardware is Lowe's hardware in uh, uh, the social media environment and on online? Uh, how like users identify with? Mm -hmm. the um the company or the, the 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 advertiser right honestly the user expectation that lows as with your example is lows no matter where i communicate with them and more importantly darn it but users have this strange expectation that there is a consistency among um communication channels that if i start an engagement say online with Lowe's in Facebook and I wind up going to the e-com site at Lowe's to do some shopping and maybe I order something that I want to pick up at my local Lowe's. Do you see where I'm going with this? There are so many options that really the user expects to have a consistent communication thread no matter what channel they're talking to us in. And I, mean, I was I, I, I was talking to you about that like laundry detergent, or I was, talk, I was talking to you about about that power sauce set like like three months ago. You don't remember? <laughs> and yeah, on Twitter. Yeah, but with retargeting, it certainly looks that way because the cookies and um, how social media ads in particular are set up. It certainly looks like the brand remembers what I was doing because wait a second, we. We were talking about this remodeling thing with a friend of mine, and now here it is showing up in my Facebook newsfeed. It's kind of weird and creepy, but oh yeah, I was looking at that too online. So maybe okay, so so if the expectations Facebook. there, if the expectations there, then then the brands they have to move to to meet consumer expectation because you know if they don't, their competition will. So, right. So how do you juggle that? How do you, how do you do that? Analytics, actually, it's kind of the strangest thing because. I came into this industry as a communicator, as um, a psychological storyteller. I, I, I was very much into building personas and understanding what made people tick. Mm -hmm. And now I'm coming to marry that up to what does the data tells me, telling me about how people tick. And it's, it's really interesting how, as my career has progressed, my need to understand the analytic feedback 
of all of this behavior really is necessary. Well, that's kind of frightening to hear because I, mean, <laughs> I, I I love analytics. And it's, 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 it's funny, I was at, uh, Christine Shackinger was on the show last week and her and I are both privacy advocates, but we're also analytics ads. So and the, 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 the contradiction is, um, the, the contradiction verges on hypocrisy, but that's marketing. Um, <laughs> what you're saying almost terrifies me in that you have to track the wants and needs of a consumer in a of, of individual consumers for large brands and we're, we're talking scale we could be talking hundreds of thousands perhaps millions of, of consumers you got to track their wants and needs amongst a bunch of different channels and you can do it using analytics to a degree yes i mean honestly with a enterprise brand like lowe's or several that we see rather ubiquitous all over north america Obviously, there's a degree of AI that's involved in that, and that does, believe it or not, I know consumers are probably like, yeah, really? That's protecting my privacy? I'm not necessarily looking at the behavior of one, any one particular individual, but I'm kind of looking at flocking behaviors. How do large groups of people behave? What, you know, when... When step one is done, what do mo what is the next logical step for a large group of people? I'm I'm looking. It really is interesting when you step back and kind of look at the wide picture. There's a lot of behavior in there that does look like birds flocking, and it's it's fascinating to see. But that also does protect people's individual privacy. I'm looking at groups writ large, not individuals. Well, sure. I mean, this is just like large aggregates of. Um mind-boggling amounts of data mm -hmm. um can you follow groups this um I, I like i like the term flocking um from uh platform to platform or again am i am i getting lost am i get, am i going on the wrong direction thinking about platforms um yes and no so part of what we're beginning to understand with the amount of data that we're able to parse is that some platforms reach people really early in consideration. So when you think about it, search and paid search, human beings can't search for something they've never heard of. So most likely those platforms are reaching people in much lower stages of their consideration of a purchase, right? They already know what their problem is. They already have a good sense of what solutions are out there. They're just now trying to make the decision, do I want, blue, red, green, that sort of thing. And they're going to search to kind of delve deeper into what those options look like. But yeah, I know what I want. Now I know what, now I need to know what I need. Right. But in order for people to know what they want and have a sense mm -hmm. of what they need and go looking for it, they have to be exposed to it somewhere. And that's where social media comes in, whether it's friends, family, people, individuals, they trust talking about it online and Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok, whatever, or if it's a really well done advertising placement where the brand is getting in front of likely people because of the amount of information that we have about what you like, what you don't like, what you've been doing lately, um, we can begin to start that conversation where we inform people enough, probably by video at this point, that we think you might be interested in this. Here's kind of what's going on. And oh, by the way, brand, 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 brand. 
so that when the, when the individual gets to the point where, oh yeah, I do actually kind of need that thing, they can go type brand rather than trying to figure out what's the language around that thing that I need that is completely new that I've never needed before. Okay. Does that so, make sense? I mean, there, there, there are some platforms that are very, very high in the awareness and early consideration phases where there are other aspects of other platforms that are much lower down in that get a user to that purchase. Well, I, yeah, I totally get that. So uh, just to, to, to um, say I'm on Instagram, I'm looking at a number of photos of, 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 of bicycles and it occurs to me, oh my goodness, I, I need a new bicycle. I need a new component. You know, I need it to look sort of like that. Then I would probably go to another platform search to hone in on exactly what I'm looking for. Right. And hopefully, if you're really into bicycles on Instagram, you're following certain influencers that have been really good about talking about what brands of bicycles they're riding, what features of the bicycles they're riding. And you are much more informed when you go to search that, oh, that influencer that I really dig, that they go riding in the mountains on this particular mountain bike, and, and there are certain features of that bike that I'm really interested in. You're a much more informed consumer. You're going to go to search with, hey, I, what other bikes have features like this? What price point do I need to be in to get a feature like that on my super cool mountain bike? Okay, we're going to have to go to break pretty soon. There's a hundred different directions I want to go when we come back <laughs> in. But I, I, I'm going to warn you ahead of time, okay? Here's, here's, here's what I think I want to do. You are the director of marketing at, at, at Apogee Resolves. Um, I know that Apogee represents some, some pretty significant brand clients. And mm -hmm. so I want you to pretend that you're talking to a boardroom made up of a few thousand executives. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's myself and the, and, and the audience, okay? okay. And we all get equal votes, of course, because that's, that's the kind of board we like to run around here. And um, I'd like you to walk us through how we're going to set up a uh, 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 a campaign from uh, from getting the message into people's heads to working with influencers all the way to um, where, where you expect them to be purchasing. Can, is that, can we do that? We can certainly do that. I actually do work with a stack of e-com clients that that is exactly how we work with them. So if you're if you're game to represent a, a mythical fictional e-com company, we can do this. Okay. Well, you know, uh, fellow fellow board members, um, it's time to go grab some of those. We got some of those sandwiches with the crust cut off in the other room. Grab yourself, you know, some some Perrier or you know a cup of civet coffee and some of them sandwiches. We're going to be back with Michelle Simpson-Ross here on Webcology uh, on webmasterradio.fm uh, recorded live to podcast on the uh, 6th of February, 2020. We're back with Michelle Simpson-Ross after these messages. Sit tight and don't move. Webcology. We'll be back after this short break. before it's noticed. A slight rising of the eyebrows, a widening of the eyes. It may be accompanied by an almost imperceptible inhalation. The heart adds a beat like a quiet exclamation point on the experience. Within a tenth of a second, the reaction has passed, but not without leaving its mark. 
someone found what they're looking for. Does your website deliver impulses to act? It can. Intended Consequences is the podcast for digital marketers who see their job as changing hearts and minds. If you're frustrated, bored, or in a rut, it's time to spread your wings with me, Brian Massey, and my guests. Find out how successful, curious, creative, and data-driven marketers are making a difference on purpose. Visit IntendedPodcast.com or find us where you get your podcasts. Intended Consequences, marketing on purpose. Are you a PPC professional? Would you like a mountain of resources that will help you fine-tune your skills? Join the Paid Search Association, the only nonprofit organization dedicated to serving managers of Google, Microsoft, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter advertising accounts. Check it out at www.paidsearch.org. That's www.paidsearch.org. Webmasterradio.fm is now part of the WMR.fm podcast network. Evolving every day to meet today's demands. We are pioneers of podcasting, staying at the forefront of digital marketing, business, and entrepreneurship. WMR.fm enters the 2020s leading the way, expanding our spectrum of shows set to educate, entertain, and engage. We are the WMR.fm Podcast Network. Commercials off. Now back to Webcology, only on webmasterradio.fm. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Webcology on webmasterradio.fm. It is the 6th of February, 2020. It's Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media. And uh, Dave's not here. He's actually uh, busy uh, flying his way down to Texas to go to, 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 to PubCon. So we have, uh, well, we have somebody from Texas. Michelle Simpson Ross from Apogee Results is uh, director of uh, Re- director of marketing at Apogee Results. That was so smooth until I got to your title. Um, is uh, is sitting in uh, is sitting in as co-host today, and um, well, Michelle has a big presentation to make. <laughs> um, Michelle, no pressure. Yeah, for 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 listeners who are just tuning in, uh, Michelle is one of the industry's social media experts like she's a social media expert social media expert um and uh again i keep this is a treat for me um i keep getting lost in the social media universe because i mistakenly think about platforms all the time i think facebook or twitter or uh, linkedin and by the way Michelle, before we go any further why are people looking at my damn LinkedIn profile? Like, <laughs> why? Why do they? Well, it, it, I get these these push notifications on my phone, and it makes me nervous. Why are they doing that? Probably because they want to sell you something, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm completely honest, they're looking to sell you something. What but happened? It, LinkedIn had such promise as a business to business networking space, and I I'm terrified to even go there because it's disappointing every time. Well, some of that has to do with the fact that the platform really hasn't iterated and changed as much as, say, some of the other platforms have. So if, if you compare LinkedIn, especially on the advertising side and what 
how we're able to target and reach and what types of advertising we have options we have available to us. And they are way far behind Facebook and Instagram. They're behind Twitter. Frankly, to a degree, they're even behind Pinterest because in all of those other platforms, not only can I retarget audiences that have visited the associated website because there's a tracking pixel, there's cookies going on there, but in all of the other platforms to varying degrees of sophistication, I can retarget people based on what they've engaged with on platform. LinkedIn is still really far behind in enabling advertisers and companies the the ability to do that. And I have several clients that are B2B. They're very, very niche. I've got um, companies that provide like AI services for mining and industrial type stuff. I have also worked with um, companies that build drive shafts for manufacturing. Really seriously, B2B, there's not any place else you would think that people would want to even see this stuff on LinkedIn. And yet I really can't target people quite as well as I would like to in LinkedIn. And I can target them better, believe it or not, on Facebook. What? Well, just, I mean, just some numbers for perspective here. 2.45 billion. That's the number of Facebook users. Mm -hmm. 1 billion at Instagram. 430 million at Reddit, 360 million at Snapchat, 330 million at Twitter. You can see where we're going here, downwards. Right. 322 million at uh, Pinterest and uh, 310 million or so at LinkedIn. Um, these were the estimated uh, users in 2019. Right. 2.45 billion at Facebook. And for some reason, that environment feels less relevant by the day. What's that all about? Um. Lots of things. Obviously, over the course of the years, there have been a lot of extra things come online. Like I said, when I started this, really, Facebook and Twitter were it. Mm-hmm. Um, Reddit, yes, was was there. Um, a couple of other things that were more like social bookmarking, a bit like the forerunners of Pinterest. Mm-hmm. But... Um, We're also talking, because I just started scrolling through the article that had this data in it, you're also talking about active monthly users, which is a big factor in all of this. So when I'm working with a business that wants to reach out to potential customers on these various channels and platforms, we not only need to be thinking about active monthly users, but active daily users. And if we're honest with ourselves... And with the companies that we're working with, Facebook has a much more active daily use rate than, say, LinkedIn does. Yeah, I might go check in on my LinkedIn once or twice a month. How hard is it going to be to target me in LinkedIn for advertising when I'm only showing up once or twice a month? Whereas on Facebook, yeah, I'll check that several times a day. Mm-hmm. And I'm the well, same yeah, human being. Um, just to, for, for, for listeners, for listeners sake, again, um, uh, these stats come from an article at search engine journal. So that's a, uh, article that was published earlier today. So you can go look at them yourselves really quickly. Um, 2.45 billion is a heck of a lot more. I mean, by a magnitude of thousands than 310 million. Right. Um, 
but again the uh some some environments feel more valuable more active or i guess more productive than others how productive how productive is facebook facebook so far is highly productive because a lot of ad inventory a lot of options so really we need to from an advertising perspective and uh, getting my marketing message in front of people who have never heard of me before but would likely buy from me if they knew about it i need to lump facebook and instagram together because when you get into the advertising platform of this i am able to distribute advertising materials in the facebook news feed in the instagram news feed in stories on both facebook and instagram i am able to distribute content in facebook messenger I'm also able to distribute content via the audience network and things like Insta articles and other apps that are actually built on the Facebook platform, the mobile platform. So there are there's a lot of ad inventory and I really need to be very strategic about what message I place where and when. Well, um Facebook owns Instagram now and and yes. they're they're uh, merging a number of aspects of their platforms with each other. Although they're, what I, I'm correct in saying they're still two very distinct environments, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, but just, again, they're just to handle that volume. Um, Facebook is equipped to handle Instagram's growing popularity. Um, and so many of the aspects of their platforms are, are merging with each other. But if you have to, if you have to write the same messaging or use the same messaging cross platforms, um, does the fact that they're different types of audiences make a difference in how you deploy um, uh, uh, the marketing? Oh, totally, yes. So, again, like I said before the break, I work with a stack of e commerce companies, and they are a stack of apparel brands. One of their particular brands, the buyer, skews quite older, usually male, definitely high income range. But for other brands within this stack, it's very young user base, athletic, they go skiing, they go sailing, they go hiking and running. And so very, very different audiences. But within the Facebook advertising ecosystem, I can reach all of the segments with the right brand and the right products in the right place and time. And a lot of that does have to do with video placement and how I can now use social media much the same way we used to use broadcast television advertising. Okay, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. how, do, how, how, how does that work? So within the ecosystem, not only can we organically create long form content for things like Facebook Watch and IGTV, which are both long form videos, much like we're kind of used to seeing on YouTube. I can now do, you know, full length shows. There are things I'm weird. I will watch things on Facebook Watch. So um, Jada Pinkett Smith has a show on Facebook Watch that I like an awful lot. Um, okay. There are several things that are episodic, full length, like 20, 30 minute entertainment type shows. But within that ecosystem, I can also create ads for my brand that are either pre-roll or mid-roll within the Facebook Watch or IGTV 
long form content. So very much like um, television advertising. Although the beautiful and brilliant thing here is that the way it's organized, it's only targeting and only playing for those people that the platform has identified as a match to my target audience. So whereas when I'm watching the morning news on television, I'm seeing all kinds of pharmaceutical ads for everything from um, arthritis medication to biologics for psoriasis to um, insurance products, all kinds of stuff that eh, isn't really all that relevant to me. But when I go and watch something on um, Facebook TV, I'm getting served the ads that are the most relevant by topic and interest to me personally. So the ads that I get served watching um, Jada Pickett Smith's show are going to be different from another person watching at Starbucks. They We're both watching the same episode on Facebook but Facebook knows a lot more about other things that we've engaged with and will serve different ads to that person at Starbucks than they will to me sitting in my office taking a quick lunch break. Okay, so so again, you're talking to the several thousand uh, person uh, board of directors mm -hmm. and you're explaining the um, efficacy of, uh, of, of, of advertising in Facebook video. Um, how do you get past... Um, well, first off, how does that affect conversion rates? It doesn't matter if I like the Jada Pinkett Smith show or not. You and I like the same blue widget tool because we're both digital marketers, so we mm -hmm. need that tool. Right. I could be watching something completely unrelated, but we'd still see the same ad because it's about our interests, right. not about the, 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 the shotgun approach. We're interested in the show. Right. Exactly. So, so How does that affect conversion rates? That, can, that affects... A lot of not only the conversion rates, but it also affects the cost per conversion. So we're we're looking at two factors here at the same time. Um, usually, it does improve conversion rates anytime that I run um, highly relevant video to an audience. My conversion rates tend to go up, um, but also that cost per conversion is lowered. So I can start the process by targeting people that are interested in the ethos of my business. I mean, we could really go really high in brand and, and do something that's really about the ethos of, of the business, the um, social responsibility of the company, that sort of stuff, just to introduce them to who the company is and why they might matter to that audience. I can serve them those ads for a penny for per through play. So if, for everybody that watches it from the beginning to the end, I can spend a penny on Facebook and Instagram in order to get that. And then because I have behavioral retargeting people that have watched from end to end that video, I can retarget them with the next piece of the message and the next piece of the message. You see how they're kind of self-selecting for conversion. The more interested they are, the further they go down that rabbit hole with me, which means that my conversion rates go up and my cost per per conversion goes way down. Now, overall, and this is, I I may be throwing an apple orange, an apples and oranges question at you, so, so, so please pardon me if I do, uh, mm -hmm. if, if it turns out that way. Um, overall, in general, there's an increase in conversion, a decrease in the cost per conversion because the number of conversions is is is, is increasing. 
Um, overall, is the cost of advertising, not just the ad spend, not, not just buying the space, but the cost of making everything, of doing it, um, either creating the commercial or creating the copy. Um, are advertisers spending more or less in 2020 than they were in 2010? I think that depends on exactly how you want to slice it. So if I ask the question, are advertising spending more on digital options? They Yes, they are. If I'm looking at the wider ecosystem and lumping in radio, TV, and print advertising, are advertisers spending more? I would probably say they're spending about the same or maybe less because some of those older, more what we would call traditional um, types of advertising, they spend a lot but don't get as much out of it. And they're shifting those budgets to places where they can get a better understanding of what's the return on that ad spend. So well, indeed, and, and, and by the carousel of, uh, of pharmaceutical ads that precede every news program in the United States, I think we can see that the inventories are getting uh, anemic. For one of the really are getting anemic in, in 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 TV advertising, so there are fewer companies investing in that medium. True, or or so it would seem. I mean, that's that I have an, an anecdotal evidence. I watch TV. Um, <laughs> <coughs> I, I expect you have direct evidence using stats. Well, um, I think that may be a reason why a lot of traditional broadcast networks are taking a serious look at how they compete with video on demand mm -hmm. because now I'm not only competing for advertisers between here in the US, ABC, NBC, CBS, like forever and ever and ever. Um, obviously cable came along and now they're like, okay, now there's tons more advertising options out there. But now they're also having to compete with things like the um, IBMD channel on um, Amazon. That's Indeed, a commercial. Yeah. That's a channel with commercials. People can watch that content, but they're going to be served commercials in order to watch it, and that's within the Amazon ecosystem. Obviously, YouTube has been a really good analogous for a long time that I can actually subscribe to shows that I want to watch episodically on YouTube, and yes, I will have to deal with a degree of advertising in that channel. And now broadcast networks are going, well, people would much rather watch their favorite shows on their schedule rather than our broadcast schedule. How do we optimize for that and then monetize for it? And so you're seeing things like CBS All Access, where Indeed. it's streaming, but you're still getting commercials served in the middle of that. And how well, well is CBS using their subscriber data to serve the right commercial at the right time? Well, I, I guarantee we'll be having another conversation somewhere <laughs> around this around next year at this time about whatever happened to the stratification of streaming services. Mm -hmm. That's gonna that's gonna all blow up eventually. Eh? But there's a lot of learnings that you can glean right now in social Indeed. media Absolutely. in order to be prepared for that. Um as you're planning a campaign, where you have okay, well, we'll, we'll go back to this mythical e national ecom brand, mm -hmm. and 
this, these are your first days thinking about what you know is going to be a good, healthy, and you know, hopefully uh, mutually beneficial long-term relationship. So it's a, a, again, a large national household name brand. How are you thinking about representing them? Where are you starting and where do you want to take them? Honestly, I'm going to start with measurement plan. What is it you need to know about shopping behaviors that are going to be critical to where we allocate ad spend? So do we need to know only how many purchases and how much that was worth? Or do we need to start being able to segment things by, oh, people that were driven by Facebook ads, they view a lot of things and they'll put a few things in the cart, but may they they convert um, to an actual purchase maybe further along down the way than somebody that came in through a paid search ad with a lot of shopping intent. I need this right now. I just needed to find it kind of behavior. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's really incumbent upon all of us as digital marketers to really drill into that. Okay, that's great. You want to advertise on Facebook and YouTube, but what do you expect to get out of it? Are your shopper behaviors really in line with what Facebook and YouTube users actually do online? And are you measuring those micro conversions that get you along the way to a purchase? So all of those factors have to be in place. It's like, I don't want to spend millions of dollars on a campaign and then not know where the money went. Okay, but the, I mean, this is this is digital, so theoretically, you can track and tag virtually everything. You can, but the system has to be put into place to actually interpret and understand that. So the funny thing about um, analytics is that you can't just open the Google box and have it do magic things. Now, there's a lot of things set up in Google Analytics that are default, and they're good. But when it comes to the detailed segmented data that really impacts your advertising decisions, your marketing decisions, as well as your sales decisions, you're going to have to spend some time actually customizing that box to give you back the kind of information that you really need. Because Google Analytics default out of the box only gives you the highest level kind of fuzzy information. It's it's like, um, I think about some of the traffic data that you get out of default settings on Google Analytics, much the same way we used to look at impression data from like newspapers. All a newspaper could tell us is how many papers they sold that day. And that was what your impression data was based on. It's like, well, we sold X number of newspapers. So that was your potential to be in front of people when you your ad ran in that issue, right? Okay, that's great. I got in front of a number of people, but I don't know what they did after they saw that ad. Did that ad really make a difference? Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. Well, in a lot of ways, default settings in Google Analytics, that's about as good as it's going to give you until you start telling um, the system that, hey, this UTM tag for this particular medium, it means this. And anybody that clicked on a link that had that tag on it, I need you to put it in this bucket over here. Because when you start really using 
sophisticated UTM tagging schemes, which you should be. If you're, if you're mm-hmm. doing organic social media and you're doing paid social media and you're doing all these other things, yes, you should be tagging. But the problem is that's about as far as most people go. They're like, yeah, these tags are supposed to make magic things happen in Google Analytics, right? <laughs> Indeed. Only when Google Analytics understands the purpose of that tag. And if I'm customizing my tags, I also have to customize the channels in Google Analytics to understand that when medium equals paid social, it should go in the paid social bucket and not be sitting in other going, I don't know what this is. Uh Because default out of the box, Google Analytics is, that's exactly what it's going to do. It's going to throw it in the other bucket and go, I don't know what this tag is supposed to mean because you haven't defined a channel that goes along with that tag. Um, okay. So for the, for the homebrew analytics person, this works if you only have one channel. If you have more than that, you'll lose count really quick. Right. And we're, <laughs> we're talking about a multi-channel, multi-touch type campaign. As soon as you get into sophisticated um, communication like that, then yes, your analytics needs to be configured as sophisticated as your campaigns are. It all needs to match up. And then you get some relevant data out of it that's like, okay, now I know when I spend X number of dollars in Facebook, I get these types of results on these types of products. And I know that I can either double down and increase the budget on that and get more sales, or I need to shift it to something else that Facebook users like better. Okay, so one one of the first things you're going to need in your relationship with the with the new brand you're representing is control of Google Google Analytics and Google Tag Manager. Right, absolutely yes, and I'm also going to have to have control over who's going to actually be appending those UTM tags to the links that are being um, either promoted in paid social and paid search or shared organically by the, com- by the community managers for the brand. Those are both links that we have control over and need to be tagged accordingly. You know, so there's, there's a whole one. protocol for tagging that also has to happen that is outside of um, Google Analytics, but requires communication um, within the marketing team to do right so that we're consistently using the right tag for the right piece of content. And, you know, I, I, I really want to know how you track that, um, like how you track other people, other workers work. But before I can ask the question, we got to, uh, we got to, we got to run some ads of our own. So, uh, on behalf of Michelle Simpson Ross from Apogee Search, this is Jim Hedger and Always Media. You are listening to Webcology on webmasterradio.fm, WMR.fm. It's the 6th of February, 2020. Stick around. We're back after these messages. tight and don't move. Webcology will be back after this short break. Here's the truth you need to know about podcasting. The biggest problem you face right now as a future podcaster is the myth that it takes an enormous amount of time or effort to produce a high-quality professional podcast. Luckily for you, there's a solution to your problem. If you're an online marketer who really needs to grow an audience of buyers but can't do all the heavy lifting alone, then here's the solution you're looking for. Introducing the DFY Podcasting System. Here's what you get. 30 minutes of one-on-one training. 
a weekly podcast for you or your company. Distribution to almost every podcast portal. An embeddable player for your website. An ebook called How to Podcast, created for WMR.FM show hosts. And much, much more. And best of all, you'll start seeing results with the DFY podcast system within a couple of weeks. You're just one podcast away from growing brand awareness and engagement in your business. Log on to podcast.wmr.fm and sign up for a deeply discounted rate today. That's podcast.wmr.fm. Are you looking for the best in WordPress speed, security, and scalability? WP Engine is a digital experience platform for WordPress, powering digital experiences for large brands around the world. With easy-to-use site management tools and powerful do-it-your-way development features, WP Engine gives you the flexibility to build it your way. Improve your SEO and conversion rates with a faster site on WP Engine. Learn more on WPEngine.com. LPO, Landing Page Optimization, where we make marketers great using design, data, psychology, and attitude. Join our host, Brian Massey, best known as the Conversion Scientist, as he sits down with leading marketers to help you create campaigns that deliver. LPO, only on webmasterradio.fm. Synergize your search engine education from 101 to rockstar level. Only on webmasterradio.fm. We're everywhere. Commercials off. Now back to Webcology. Only on webmasterradio.fm. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Everyone, welcome back to, to Webcology at webmasterradio.fm. Uh, Jim Hedrick from Generalist Media and Michelle Stinson Ross from Apogee Results. Uh, Michelle, I'm sorry, we had to cut, I had to cut you off a moment ago. We had to, we had to get that last. <laughs> that break was actually in. a good spot to take a breather. Okay, because we're just we're dealing with uh, this whole mess of tags and um, well, actually, it's more of a mess of responsibility and who will be tagging what. And I'm, I'm really curious, actually, how do you keep track of that? Because um, you got to tag Google My Business listings, you got to tag um, uh, paid search listings, you got to mm-hmm. tag stuff on, on on the website, uh, maybe on subdomains. Um, how do you track that and make sure it gets done properly? Well, now you see why I say it is a protocol rather than anything else, because I do have to look at the big picture, and that probably sits on the CMO's desk in order to make sure that all of the various disciplines, all of the various marketing groups, however they're organized, that they're all using the proper tagging protocols or or else all of the data that's coming into, whether it's Google Analytics or whether it's Adobe Analytics or whatever it is you use, it's just a flaming hot mess if we're not all using the same tagging protocols. Depending on the size of the company, um, it could be an automated um, spreadsheet that generates that for you. There are also a lot of tools within like bigger social media platforms like Hootsuite or marketing automation platforms like HubSpot, where as you're developing campaigns, there is a portal within that campaign, I'm talking HubSpot in particular, that will generate all of your tags for that campaign. 
but usually there's some sort of guidance documentation somewhere that says, okay, for search, we're going to use these tags. And it, and it usually, a lot of it comes down to particularly the medium tag. What is the medium um, that that traffic came in from that defines what channel, what bucket it goes into. Um, mm -hmm. So there needs to be a protocol document of this medium equals this channel, and we will consistently use it for anything that is being communicated on that channel. Um, so yeah, it's it it absolutely comes down to marketing policy, and that that type of documentation and protocol is probably sitting on the responsibility side of the CMO or the senior. Um, marketing VP are pretty high up because it requires several disciplines all abiding by the tagging protocol for it to really work. Okay. Assuming everything gets done properly, uh, four to six weeks later, you have fairly reliable data. Mm -hmm. um, you're, you're, you're able to see who's who, who's doing what, and uh, you're getting a better sense of visitor expectations. Where are you going now? Where I'm going now is a combination of things. I want to make sure that my goals in my analytics are also, also properly set up and that obviously that's purchase goals, um, shopping behavior type goals. And there's a whole segment, particularly in Google Analytics, that deals with e-com goals and did they add it to cart? Did they actually check out? Did they abandon the cart? All of those, all of that stuff needs to be set up. and it, when you set that up and marry it up to your tagging, then you're actually getting some decent user behavior. It's like, okay, fine. People add to cart a lot on mobile from Facebook engagements, but then they come and complete purchase on the desktop, just going back direct. Or they're like, oh yeah, they see an email and they realize there was that thing I was going to buy. They click through from an email to finish the purchase. So it does require that the system understand that they may start that process via one channel and complete it in another. And that's a big reason why both tags and goals are properly aligned so that you can see that happening. And it's it blows my mind that as sophisticated as analytics platforms are, they're only utilized and optimized at about the 20% rate. Our good friend and colleague, Alan Connect, which I was, I I was really just well. thinking about Alan. Yep. I'm like, honestly, goodness, his face was yeah. in my mind. Um, Alan and I have had a lot of discussions about this lately. And I'm like, I'm frustrated because I know that we're doing good things with our social media advertising, but I can't prove it because analytics isn't set up to track it. And he's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> well, this is a frustrating yeah. thing. I mean, this, this drives me crazy because it's so important. Alan is one of the the world, like literally, one of the world's premier experts in in analytics and tagging, and and companies don't take it seriously enough. They don't get it. Well, I think they do and they don't. So they get it to the point of, oh, I can actually see how much revenue was driven by efforts that we made in Facebook as opposed to efforts we made on email. Ooh, I, I jolly well love that. Sign me up. Yeah, but what do you mean I got to pay for it? <laughs> well, 
Well, there's a lot of stuff even, I mean, if we're going to talk Google Analytics outside of any discussions around um, Adobe Analytics, because definitely you're paying for it. If you're on Adobe's platform, you're paying for it. But there's a lot of stuff that Google Analytics can do if you'll spend the time on it without spending extra money on it. But obviously, if you've got dedicated resource, dedicated personnel, you are spending money on it. You're just not paying Google to do it, you're paying your employee to do it, or your marketing partner, or your agency to take care of those things and make sure that I'm actually getting decent reporting data back. I think to a degree, some of this is just we, it's iterated and it's grown and it's changed over time that so many businesses are still accustomed to the very loosey-goosey and high-level reporting from what television advertising did for me that, eh, really, I can get down into the weeds on that, but I don't know whether I want down into the weeds on that. Did you make me money or not? <laughs> so there's a balancing act with how how segmented and how sophisticated do I get in order to do my job as a marketer and how segmented and sophisticated does the reporting need to be to the powers that be? Because sometimes I, as the marketer, need more data than my boss actually needs. You know, I can guarantee you, we need more time than uh, reality is going to allow us. <laughs> we're, we're, we're brushing up against the end of the edge of the clock, uh, 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 the edge of the hour here. Um, I, I I want you to I have to ask you to Reader's Digest the next answer. I'm so sorry about this, but um, uh, how wh- how quickly do you move through different channels as you develop the um, the as the, the you develop the the, the message that uh, that the consumers are getting uh, through the through the through the social media marketing very quickly. So I'm usually looking at multiple channels for every message because that message grows and progresses depending on where the customer is in their journey. I want to make sure that if I've got a sale coming up for, okay, I'm an American, forgive me guys, but if I've got a President's Day sale coming up, Mm -hmm. I need to make sure that I'm putting that message out consistently across my social, across my email, across organic search, across, do you see it, it all comes together and knowing that I can tag all of those things properly, I begin to understand how the Plinko actually works and, and which messages are touching which people to drive which purchases. In, uh, in a really sophisticated modern digital marketing campaign, there's obviously a number of disciplines um, and number of uh, uh, skill sets necessary, but who's playing quarterback? Hmm. That depends a lot on how the company's organized. So it could be a senior marketing VP running an in-house staff that's doing this. It could be a combination of a business owner and an agency running that. It could be, if it's really large, it could be several agencies plus an in-house team being supervised by a CMO running that. So it, it really does depend on the size of the company and, and the size of the business as to how complicated that's going to be. Well, just the level of coordination uh, could be staggering sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, meeting after meeting after meeting? Oh, totally. A lot of meetings. 
Um, okay, we are down to our last minute. Um, what is, in your mind, the most successful uh, brand campaign, either you've run or that you've just seen out there on, on social? Like, what's possible? The world is possible. <laughs> I love um, that answer. The, mo the most successful things that I've seen are taking really wide media hits, like some of the stuff that we saw running over the Super Bowl, and taking that further down the road. So uh, Hyundai's um, parking ad, I absolutely loved it. it. It was sticky. It was memorable. It's like, okay, they saw it on TV. Now how are you going to take YouTube and Facebook and everything else and double down on that? Okay, uh, Michelle, I'm getting. We're done. I I wish we had another couple of hours. Like, have to invite. We're gonna have to, Dave and I will have to invite you back onto the show over and over and over again. Um, Anytime. Excellent. I'm afraid we have come to the top of the hour. That was that was the uh, what what I always call the hook music. So, Michelle Stinson Ross, uh, director of marketing at Apogee Search. Thank you so much for joining us on Webology today. Friends, you've been listening to Webcology on WMR.FM, WebmasterRadio.FM. We were recorded live to podcast on the 6th of February, 2020. On behalf of Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing, this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media. Rank well, stay safe, stick around Webmaster Radio and WMR.FM. Great content coming up on the network, and we'll talk to you next week. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.